I know I don't have my sling on. Angela has it. I took it off. This will be the first time I preach without a sling since uh, January the 8th. I also parked in my own parking spot today. And you guys, well, Jeff, you have a parking spot? Yes, I do. It's the one that I consider the furthest away from the building. And that's where I park. And I park there today. And uh, Angela has my sling. I'll have it back on when you see me again in the atrium because it's a good self-defense mechanism because you guys love to hug on me and bang on me. And it's, it's all good. Uh, but I'll have it on for that. But I think we're making some progress. I will try not to disrupt many of you by moving it too much. So now that we've got that out of the way, everybody okay? Watch this. I can see, I could do it. All right, that's good. All right. All right, so grab your Bible, turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 10, that last verse of Jonah chapter 3, and then we're going to be really bold today. We're going to finish Jonah. We're going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. And you're going, Jeff, I don't think you can do it. Well, God says we're finishing today. So I don't have to do it. He's going to. It's, one, it's on page 1069 in that Pew Bible, if you're grabbing that. And I encourage you to do that. And we'll stand and read here in just a minute. But I want to start with two names. And I've tested some people this week to see if they recognize either of these two names. Let me start by giving you... This name, it's a name of a person, Scott Farkas. Anybody know who Scott Farkas is? He's the bully in a Christmas story. Everybody, oh yeah, I know him. Now let me give you another name, I've given you a hint already, Biff Tannen. Anybody know who Biff is? Back to the Future, right? He was the bully who chased Marty McFly nearly 200 years of history. Biff kept showing up and showing up and showing up as a bully. I did some research this week, both on the media side of bullies. You know, there are all kinds of bullies in movies and TV shows, and there's even this uh, new phase these days of redeeming the bullies. They all of a sudden make them the lovable characters in some shows, if you watch it long enough and things like that. But there are also bullies in real life. And that's not necessarily a funny thing. It's a real thing. And if you have faced bullying, you know it's real. Or if you are facing it, then you know it's real. Bullying defined is this. A blustering, browbeating person who is habitually cruel, insulting, or threatening to others who are weaker, smaller, or in some way vulnerable. Let's just be very clear. Bullying is wrong on every level. And as such, we always like to see bullies get their due, don't we? We like to see them get it in the end. People who act this way, people who bully, should be judged and held responsible for their actions. And we sort of hold on to those days knowing that one day they'll get theirs. And with that backdrop, I ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read, as I said, from Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read verse 10 all the way through chapter 4, which is 11 verses. Let's just finish reading the book of Jonah together. Chapter 3, verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. 
So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he, this is Jonah, said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? Thank you. That is the book of Jonah. You may be seated. We're going to talk about this. Keep your scripture open. A Jonah, as you noticed, ends pretty abruptly. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. But last week, leading up to this point, we saw where Jonah finally went to Nineveh. Jonah finally preached the message that God had given him. We saw in verse 5 of chapter 3 that the people believed God. And in verse 9, we didn't read this last week, but I'll tell it to you now. They waited. After believing, they waited to see God's response. And verse 9 said this, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So we enter into today's scripture waiting. The people are waiting on God. We're going to find out that Jonah is waiting on God. And God has been waiting on the people. And God has been waiting on Jonah. So we find ourselves waiting today. And that gets us to the beginning of our passage for today, verse 10, said that God saw their works. This is the works of the Ninevites, that they turned. Church, can I just for the third week in a row just state this word, repentance. Repentance is a turn from whatever it is you're leaning toward, holding on to, turning to Jesus Christ. That is step Number one, of coming to be made right with Christ. It's repentance, and we've talked about that. But it says that they turned. Church, we need to understand this, is that they repented. The people sincerely heard the message of God through Jonah. They knew that it was that he was just, that he was accurate. They believed God when they heard the message to be serious, and they responded. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever, I have, have you ever been in a situation where you would say or do just about anything to keep from being in trouble? I have. 
I don't say that proudly, but I can remember it's, it was probably something that I naturally did growing up, and it's probably something that I have actively done at times before I matured a little bit more. I can't say that it's something that I'm not going to be possibly guilty of in the future. I just know I don't desire to anymore. But some have read and thought that these people of Nineveh, that they were just doing whatever it took to get out of getting in trouble. Because verse 9 said, now they're waiting to see if God would relent. And so it's an interesting thing because Jesus weighs in on this matter. Now just write this scripture down, Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus has been requested to show a sign to people in order for them to believe. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Catch this, church. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Church, we need to understand that what Jonah shows and speaks of is people turning to God. Jesus validated. Not only did they repent and turn, but in the end, they will stand along with him in the judgment that they will stand because of their relationship with God through Christ. So when we look at these Ninevites, we need to understand what we've read here in chapter 3 is real life change. Now, I've mentioned to you, do you believe you know Jesus as your Savior? And we've talked about that before, but I've come to address this question differently as I read Scripture more Harkening back to Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, I never knew these people. Here's the question I want to ask you. Does Jesus know you through the faith that you've expressed today? Because see, we can claim, but it's Jesus who knows. Amen? And right now, I believe that you and Jesus know if you have ever experienced real Life change. You see, there's two kinds of people that I see in Scripture that we've alluded to here. There are those that will walk the part, act the part, say the right words, be in the right places, do the right things, but they don't know Jesus. And then there are those people who Jesus says, I know you, I saw your faith, and I forgave you, and I will stand with you eternally. Two kinds of people. Have you ever experienced real life change? Many of you are, are so excited about what God is doing in the church. Seeing people come forward. Seeing the numbers grow. Seeing our classes grow. And, and, and people... Do, I, I, listen, I'm with you. And that comes when real life change occurs. And what I have always read about and seen in my short life experience, that when real revival begins, people begin to let go of the pretend commitment to Christ. And then they're just changed because of the truth of Christ. And so it would not surprise me that God does not have people in His church universally, but in His church today, that are acting a good part, but haven't truly 
experienced real life change. I'm not here to take it away from you. I'm here to not allow Satan to cause you to believe that you've got something, that the Spirit of God is hollering at you right now spiritually going, you need to do this for real. I just leave that with you. Have you ever experienced real life change? Well, we go back to verse 10 of chapter 3, and it says that God relented from his judgment. Now, if you get out there theologically, there are a lot of people that like to talk about this verse in a number of different ways, like trying to determine if God changed his mind, if God is, has, has done a different things like that, is God not doing what he said he was going to do. And people who think like that, I think that they're trying to build a case that's not really there. Church, can I tell you that when God relents, when you hear the message of God, that's the gospel. Can I just share with you that the gospel is all about, 100% about God relenting. Right? Because I'll tell you this, Scripture tells me that when I, before I knew Jesus, I was lost in my sins, I was blind to the truth, and had that not changed, I would have spent eternity away from God. That's what Scripture says is true. But Scripture goes on to say this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Church, can I tell you that's the gospel, and the gospel is all about God relenting when we respond to Him. Amen? But it's also interesting. I just don't want to miss this part. God just sort of showed me this that you guys have probably seen, and I'm always a little slow to the party, but if you look back at verse 10, it's not that God relented and did no judgment. Let's think about this. Look at verse 10 for just a second. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon... Upon whom? Them. That says that God relented on the judgment that He had said He would bring upon the Ninevites. On them. Biblically speaking, characteristically speaking, God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin, will not tolerate sin, did not tolerate sin. That's why He gave His only begotten Son. You see, the sin of the Ninevites who believed, who repented, who turned, who came to faith that Jesus validated, the sin of all of the ages past, present, and the sin of the future, people who will believe, will repent, and come to faith, was judged. It was not judged by God destroying the Ninevites. It was judged by God destroying His own Son. Let's just understand God's character of did God change His mind and let them off the hook? Church, that's not true at all. God's character was enhanced in this moment because God's love superseded everything in that moment and His judgment did pour out. His wrath did pour out on sin just on Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Church, can I tell you that sin never goes unpunished. Never. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. The gospel is about who gets the punishment for your sin. Isaiah 53.10. Check this out. 
This is before Jesus. This is 700 years before Jesus even came. Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did you catch that? Not only did God not withhold judgment, not only did he place it on Jesus for those that will come to repent, turn, and believe, to be saved, it pleased him. Carry that into Easter with us. Because what we're going to talk about on Palm Sunday and what we're going to talk about on Easter Sunday is not some kind of auto accident that happened that is sad. It is a purposeful movement of a loving, righteous, and holy God on your behalf. That's awesome. And I love the fact that God has us right here. See, I didn't know when we were going to complete Jonah, but the Lord says we're completing it today. And I'm thinking, that's perfect because we walk right into Easter and here we are recognizing that sin never goes unpunished. God just placed it on His Son. Now, even Jonah knew this was true. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah said... uh, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Note gracious. Grace is the providing of merit that is undeserved. God is merciful. Mercy is withholding a judgment that is deserved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace we have been saved. So it pleased God to punish through Christ. Jonah knew that God was going to act this way. Now we're going to talk about that more in just a minute because he knows God's character is is that. But verse 11, skip with me here. God also believes this to be the correct way to handle things. Look what verse 11 says. Should I not pity Nineveh and that great city? God's saying, should I not show compassion and love to those? especially when they cannot discern the right from the left. God says, I know it is right that I show love, compassion, mercy, and grace. We talk about this message, and God said, yet 40 days. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is long-suffering toward us. Aren't you glad? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God provided His messenger to tell this truth to the Ninevites. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? God's love was so thorough and complete toward Nineveh, He said, Jonah, you're my loving messenger to them. What a great story. Love shown in the face of exceedingly wicked position of life. Redemption offered and accepted and people saved. Now, Scripture says that 120,000 people, so there's a number there, and, and you can say it's 
120,000 people came to know the Lord. I think that's a reasonable conclusion there, and some could say that's the population of the whole city. Others have talked about that those were referring to the children in the city and that there was likely close to a half a million people in the city, and the same would be true. It's a great revival whichever way it goes. God did a great thing in Nineveh. What a great story. Who would not love this story? Well, I read, with, I read where one guy was not real thrilled. You just read it with me. Jonah, he didn't like how this played out. Listen, as a pastor, this is a pastor's dream. God speaks, you obey, you preach, people respond, God is honored and glorified, heaven is filled up. Who would want more, right? Except Jonah. Verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and it goes on to say that, and he became angry. Well, let's start with a really cool fact about what's going on right here. Do you know who is considered the author of the book of Jonah? It's Jonah. Jonah, and you're going, Jeff, that's what you went to school for? They believe that Jonah is the author of the book of Jonah. And I want to tell you why, or one, at least one impressive reason why that's there. Because I can tell you if I was writing the book of Jonah, if I were writing Jonah, and I had seen this same four-chapter thing happen in my life, I'm writing Jonah as a three-chapter book. We're ending on verse 10. Everybody believe. Lord is glorified. Heaven's filled up. Let's walk away. But Jonah kept going. The Spirit of God would not allow Jonah to stop. And there's a reason for all of this, that we have to walk through and be able to do this. Oliver Cromwell was a uh, British military leader in the 17th century. And as he was sitting for his portrait, I guess there must have been, you know, we've got portraits of all of these guys from hundreds of years ago. We don't do this anymore, right? Everything's on our phone. But they would sit back and great military leaders and paint this. And he told the person that was going to paint his immortalizing portrait forever, he instructed the artist to paint him just as he saw him, quote, unquote, warts and all. Now today that expression, warts and all, is used to refer to a true representation of a person to reveal their weaknesses and their strengths. Jonah was led by God to write the rest of the story. Warts and all. So this information is not just allowed us to see what we already know as the weak side, the weaknesses of Jonah, but I believe that the Holy Spirit desired this to be written, that God provided chapter 4 for us so that we could be challenged about what weaknesses we may hold as it relates to the gospel and people that we come in contact with in this world. Verse 1 goes back and says, This displeased Jonah. Assyria, historically speaking, was a brutal nation known as having a great war machine, and you can read all about their tactics, about how as you entered into the main gate, there would be people impaled on sharp objects, there would be just stacks of skulls that have been beheaded, they were known for their war machine. 
They were a bully. They were hated and feared, or maybe it's the reverse. They were feared, and that made them hated by everybody around them, including Israel, and that went back years before Jonah. And do you know that Jonah was likely taught to fear and hate these people? There's no experience that we're given in God's Word that says Jonah had a bad run-in with Assyria. No, Jonah was probably taught. Do you know that makes sense? You know, we're typically taught our belief structure. And then if it's wrong, we fight like crazy through life to allow the Lord to put it back together correctly. And that might be what chapter 4 is all about. Jonah said this in verse 2. It says, was this not what I said when I was still in my home country? Church, that gives us a great revelation because if you go back to chapter 1 and God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach what I tell you, there's a whole lot more conversation that occurred and we're given some of it right here because Jonah basically has told us now that that conversation went about like this. Hey, Jonah, it's me, God. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the message I'll give you. And Jonah says, I'm not going there. I hate those people. I don't want them to know you. Scripture tells us right here, he says, I know what's going to happen when I go and tell them about you. You're going to be gracious, and you're going to be loving, and you're going to be merciful to them, and they're going to turn because it's all true. And then they're going to come to know you, and then you're going to love them and not kill them. And I don't want that, because I don't like them. They're a bully. And Jonah said, that's why I ran. Church, I didn't make any of that up. Just go and put chapter 1 and verse four, chapter 4 together, and you can see that's how that conversation happened. Jonah said, God, I know this is what you're going to do. That's why I didn't want to go to begin with. You know what he said is, I don't want them to know Jesus. They don't deserve to know Jesus. I'd just soon them be judged. So he ran from God. Let me ask you this question. Do you feel this way about anyone? That they deserve to be judged. That I don't want them to be forgiven. I don't want them to be made right. I want you to judge them, God. Do you feel that way about anybody? It's possible. It's how Jonah felt. You wouldn't be the only person who'd ever felt that way before, but it is reasonable because if the Lord shows you somebody right now through the Holy Spirit, through the truth of the Word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, if there is somebody in your life right now that you know, I'm really okay with them dying and going to hell. If that's what, if, if the Holy Spirit is putting that person, I, write their name down. You don't even probably need to write it down. You know exactly who it is. They're called Ninevites. And I'll tell you this, what I've learned about Ninevites, God loves them. God wants them to turn. God wants them to stop. And God knows that He's the only one that can make them happen, make it happen. And they need to know about Him. Do you feel this way about anyone? 
They deserve only to be judged. No mercy and no grace. Jonah's so strong about his feeling. In verse 3, he says, he's so angry about this that he said, God, why don't you just kill me now? Now, you know, you realize how mad you've got to be? That you would rather die than see something good happen to somebody else. That's a whole lot of anger and hate going on right there. God asked Jonah a question, and Jonah's so mad he didn't even answer it. In verse 4, Jonah, is it right for you to be this angry? You see, if you're holding that person, if there's a person or a group of people or somebody in your life right now, God is not only showing them to you in light of His Scripture, but He is also asking you this question, is this right for you to be angry like this? Jonah doesn't answer him. Do you know that anger has a devastating and destructive impact on our lives? I'm going to give you four points about anger as we head toward nearing the end of this book. First of all, anger destroys our or your peace. You would think that after all that Jonah had gone through, all he had seen God do, all he had been delivered from, that Jonah would be seeing these people turn to God and rejoicing with them. But Jonah was angry. You know, the word anger means to burn. This is the first impact of anger. It takes away your peace. Evidences of a spirit-filled person are love, joy, peace. When you lose your peace because of anger, it begins to impact you. You're burning instead of at peace. Number two, not only does anger destroy your peace, anger diverts your purpose. Anger has a far greater impact on the one who is angry than it does on the object that you're angry about. You guys get that, right? You know, it's possible that the person that you're angry with right now, the person that you hate right now, the person that you don't want to see come to know God right now, the Ninevite in your life, it's possible they don't even know you're mad at them. It's destroying you and not impacting them. Drives your purpose. And look at this. If you look in verses 3 and verse 8, Jonah helps us see how his purpose had been shifted. He says twice, it is better for me in verse 3. In verse 8, he said, it is better for me. Do you know that when you walk around life as a child of God looking out for what is better for you, you've lost your purpose. Your purpose is going to be defined by what God wants to do in and through you. But when you start looking around going, better for me, better for me, you've lost your purpose. You're no longer concerned about what God wants. You're just concerned about what you want. So anger destroys your peace. Anger diverts your purpose. Anger diminishes your productivity. Verse 5 of chapter 4 tells us twice that Jonah sat down. Sat down. Jonah had been obeying God. Jonah had been walking. Jonah had been preaching. And God, through Jonah, had made all of this extremely effective. But his anger caused him to sit down. 
Now, here's the kid mind of Jeff coming out. In my mind, I've, I've got this picture. I can't help it. And I know it's the wrong season of the year, but you guys have watched How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right? And he goes down, and he's going to destroy it all. And he's going to take it all. And he and that little dog steal it all. And they climb back up on the mountain, and they get to the point where they're looking over it. And then they wake up, and they all come together. And while everything is gone, everything is good. Because their purpose was not in the stuff. And it begins to impact the heart of the Grinch. And you know, right, you'll watch this growing up lots of times. And it said that his heart grew, grew, and then broke that little frame his heart was in in the picture, right? It broke. And he went down, and I'm thinking, Jonah, this is your chance. Do you understand how exciting things must have been in Nineveh? To go from 120,000 people living evilly, coming to know the Lord, turning, living for Him. Do you know that Jonah could have spent these 37 days? Let's, let's just pretend. Jonah goes and sits on the hill. He's preached for his three days. He's seen them all turn. He goes and sits on the hill. He's probably sitting there for 37 more days waiting for God to hopefully judge them. Do you know what he could have been doing in those 37 days? Take that sleigh full of stuff. Oh, that's wrong story. Come back down into town and go, having a Bible study at 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. We're going to have us a nice fellowship dinner after that. We're going to have us a worship service at 8. Tomorrow we're going to do it again. And we're going to start learning about this God that you are now excited about. Church, there's a ministry arm, there's a discipleship arm that comes to helping people once they turn and come to know Christ. And we as a church, we got to do both. Help people come to know Christ and then help them grow in their relationship to Him. And Jonah, his productivity because of his anger sank. He went up and sat on a hill and did nothing for the kingdom of God for 37 days. Just imagine what could have happened If he'd have let God make him continually productive. Anger robs you of your peace, of your purpose, and your productivity. And the fourth thing your anger robs you of is your perspective. You see, once you lose your peace and your purpose and your productivity, your perspective goes next. Jonah became obsessed with what? A little plant. He's sitting on the hill... It's hot. God prepared him a plant. That's what it said. Prepared a plant, prepared a worm, prepared a wind. He'd already prepared a fish. God's being pretty loving to Jonah as far as I'm concerned. But he, this plant grows up and shades Jonah. And then the Lord prepares a worm and eats the root. plant shrivels up. These are miraculous things too because... I know the weeds in my yard grow fast. You know, it's an amazing thing. You can mow your yard at noon, and by 4.30, there's a dandelion about eight inches tall. Now, that's a weed. This is not a weed. This is a miracle that God created to teach Jonah a lesson. 
He became obsessed with this plant. He cared more about the plant than he did about Nineveh. He showed more sorrow, more anger, more emotion over this plant than he did the people in Nineveh. And God asked him the same question he'd asked him earlier, but he targets it about the plant this time. And he said, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is right for me. I could see him stomping his feet. It is right for me to be angry. And it's a good thing I didn't hurt my legs. It's right for me to be angry. Do you know that when you lose your peace, when you lose your purpose, when you lose your productivity, and then when you lose your perspective, you find yourself standing before God Almighty, stomping your feet, thinking that it is right for you to be the way you are and that God is wrong. All because of anger. All because of anger. Now, it's a very unsatisfying ending to the book. We leave Jonah sitting on a hillside, waiting. We get no revelations as to how Jonah lives from this point forward in his life. But remember, this ending was prepared by God to challenge us. Here's the Jonah question I've asked you every week since we started Jonah. Does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all people. Perhaps today, you're angry with someone. Today, Jonah would tell you, give that to God. Perhaps today, you need to forgive someone. God can help you with that, whatever it is. Perhaps today you need to allow God to change your heart to match His. Perhaps God is leading you to share His message of love to someone around you. Maybe that someone is that person I said you knew that is open to coming, and maybe they'll hear the Word of God and turn. Or maybe God's going to lead you to that person that popped up and says, I'm your Ninevite. I encourage you, let God lead you. Perhaps it's time for you to get up off the hillside and get to work. That's where we leave Jonah, right? Just sitting. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, I don't know if you're mad at anybody. I don't know... If you're angry, I don't know if you've lost your peace, your purpose, your productivity, or your perspective. All I know is that God led us to the book of Jonah, to this message today. This is what I believe Scripture would teach us today. So I have to believe that it's impacting us. My encouragement to you is, allow God to have His way in your life now. Your peace will return. Your purpose will return. Your productivity will return for the gospel. And your perspective will be about what God desires and not about what you desire. I believe you'll like that life much, much better.